they have had some sort of long-standing feud. But uh, it's obviously quite clear that Zuckerberg is getting under Elon's skin. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Tuesday, July 11th. Today, I'm joined by Bill Cohan to talk about the sizzling rivalry between Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg over who can build a better version of Twitter. The arrival of threads has led to a public battle between two tech titans that everyone loves to hate. But why are people who used to loathe Zuckerberg suddenly rooting for him? Bill and I discuss. We'll dig into all that and much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome to The Powers That Be. I'm joined today by Bill Cohan to talk about the thing that everyone in tech and media is talking about, which is threads, but also the rivalry between Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg that is flaring right now. Bill, welcome. I assume you saw the tweet from Elon saying that Zuck is a cuck. Uh, Do these guys? I did see that. (laughs) So did everyone. Do these guys have a real rivalry that existed before this happened? Or is this just really getting under Elon's skin, the launch of threads and its possible threat to Twitter's existence? My sense, and I get this from listening to Kara and Scott, is that they have had some sort of long-standing feud. I, you know, I, I personally can't really be bothered with it. I don't really, uh, I, you know, I'm not a Facebook person. I'm not a Mark Zuckerberg person. I I wouldn't be an Elon person, except for the fact that I have been on Twitter for something like, you know, 13 years. And if it just, if only continuation of what I have been using it for or trying to use it for uh, under Elon's ownership. I mean, in other words, if it were, if Elon had owned it from the beginning, I probably wouldn't have participated. But I don't know. The whole thing is bizarre, but uh, it's obviously quite clear that Zuckerberg is getting under Elon's skin. And as I wrote yesterday, if there's one person in the world that can make Mark Zuckerberg look good, look sympathetic, like we actually have to care for him, it would be Elon Musk and this situation. You couldn't have written this. I mean, I guess we'll have to just now... Uh, I know we're, we've cast uh, people for the Chris Licht TV series, uh, but now we may need to cast people at Puck for the uh, Mark Zuckerberg versus Elon Musk grudge match, whether it's an actual physical grudge match that takes place under the auspices of Ari Emanuel's UFC or whatever, uh, or we it's a metaphorical grudge match because it seems to be happening, even though I think we in the world uh, have bigger things to worry about than this. Yeah, well, you know, unlike the uh, casting exercise we did for the, the Chris Licht show, we already have Jesse Eisenberg uh, having played Mark Zuckerberg in The Social Network. So we've got one done there. We've got one cast. I'm sort of with you. Like, I, you know, and it should be said, I work for 
Snapchat as well. Like I'm not anti-tech, but the idea that people out there are like suddenly rooting for Zuckerberg uh, to sort of kill off Elon Musk and Twitter is a little like gross and hypocritical to me because it's a, it's coming from like a political perspective and a lot of the same people who hated Facebook for allowing disinformation to flourish and for <laughs> being the connective tissue that may or may not have fostered genocide in certain countries. You know, Mark Zuckerberg was public enemy number one for the left in uh, 2016 and, and much of the following years. And all of a sudden we're rooting for uh, a guy to expand his reach into our lives, into our privacy, into our phones and tethering a new platform to existing platforms. I mean, this is the reason that Threads, as hyped as it is right now, isn't available in Europe because the EU has certain regulations. It's like you can't get bigger. And the other thing I just don't care about, too, is just like this cage match that was about to happen between both of them, supposedly. Like, that's just like a news story I tuned out. Like these big, like loud, semi-annoying or very annoying tech founders getting attention. Like there's just, I don't know, there's more things to worry about than a cage match. But I do think it's interesting. Like I... I'm having a hard time figuring out threads. Like you, I've been on Twitter for a very long time. Obviously, you and I have talked about this a lot. I don't enjoy Twitter very much these days, and I've also made an effort even before Elon to use it less. But I'm curious what the use case is. Like I saw Galloway talking about how his engagement is better on threads. But if you are a creating content for either of these platforms, which is what you and I do as journalists, as political people do very often. You're the content creators for these platforms that they then monetize. Do I post on Twitter and then post the same thing on threads? Do I leave Twitter completely behind and go all in on threads? Like I just, I'm confused if normal people are starting to make the same movements over there that all of the sort of blue checkmark types that we know are doing. Because there's been a lot of growth hacking involved too. They're obviously hyping like tens of millions of people signing up here, but if you hundred million, connect, yeah. If you connect via Instagram, like your followers are ported over right from there. Like it's easy to grow that way, and they're throwing up so many like badge notifications and push alerts for people listening. Like as a, a tech term, it's called growth hacking. You get to say you have all these metrics, but I'm still curious how many people are actually engaging with it on a daily basis, and we're just not going to know that until you know an earnings call from them, if they even share it then. You know, honestly, uh, I can't get myself interested in threads. I can barely get myself interested, you know, in Twitter. And uh, again, only because I started it, you know, in 2010. And, you know, I've just sort of kept it going since then. Now I have something like 25,000 followers, which, you know, I guess I'm glad for. And thank you very much. But that's like nothing in the scheme of things. And so to try to begin again on threads, because I don't have an Instagram account, I don't have a Facebook account, I, you know, refused and have categorically refused to give Mark Zuckerberg my data for free so that he can be worth $100 billion. That's just not something I'm going to do. Uh, and so to me, it would be literally starting over. And I, and I just don't care enough about either one of these things to uh, either start over or to stop Twitter and port over or create content for uh, Twitter. I mean, I'm 
happy to uh, uh, or threads. I'm happy to endorse the content that my esteemed colleagues uh, provide or my friends in the media uh, provide or you know smart analyses of certain events on Twitter and I suddenly have in my Twitter feed this sort of endless stream of animal videos that I find uh, you know marginally amusing and stupid human videos that I find marginally amusing I I frankly Peter would like to reclaim uh, my time that I spend aimlessly you're scrolling through that, hoping to find some nugget like I used to find. You know, it used to be that I would scroll through Twitter and find one nugget a day that was relevant or interesting or news newsworthy or that I hadn't previously known about or thought about. Uh, then it was sort of many during the late stage Jack Dorsey phase, uh, even though I have no idea how all that happened. And now it's uh, just inanity. Zuck is a cuck. I mean, really, I mean, I don't care for it. I don't need it. I, I don't even find it great at promoting. Sometimes, you know, some of what we promote on Puck sort of catches on. Mostly it seems that it's what I write about, you know, Elon Musk losing Twitter that seems to catch on on Twitter. I mean, it's just become so ridiculous and <laughs> such a colossal waste of time. But I do need something to, I just can't work all the time. So I find that you know, it's a colossal waste of time that breaks up my workday, but not enough to get me to, you know, engage with Mark Zuckerberg on threads and all that whole thing. So good luck to all that. I hope it works out. I'd love there to be an alternative to Twitter, but I'm not going to engage in it. Uh, shout out to uh, our colleague at Puck, Becky Aiden, who does our social media promotion. We're not negging you. It does a we great support you. job. <laughs> we are she just being curmudgeons. Uh, Bill, I want to take a quick break uh, and ask you more about this after the break. Welcome back to the powers that be, everybody. I'm talking to Bill Cohan about Twitter. Uh, we're being a little curmudgeonly about this. I... Bill, agree with you. I've taken steps in recent years to dial back generally my screen time, Twitter specifically, uh, in part because my feed is politics and media, and it, it just frequently became annoying <laughs> and toxic. And I'm not someone who gets cranky at replies. Like, I don't care about that stuff. I don't make my life, nor do I attach my feelings to social media. It's just like I found that I was getting better stories and becoming smarter when I would take a time out, make a few phone calls, read a book, <laughs> read a chapter of a book in the 15 minutes I wasted on a day on Twitter. And so threads to me is, do I want to give more time to social media in an era, by the way, and this is true among young people specifically, people are actually like tuning out of social media a little bit. They're being more, I think, I'm not saying that it's totally changing, but I do think people are being more mindful about their screen time. And so why give more time over to a new platform, Threads? My friend Scott Conroy, who's a screenwriter out here in LA, <laughs> made the, who's, by the way, his wife gave him a traditional flip phone for his birthday so he could stop looking at social media. He's so annoyed by it. But he was making the point that like, do we actually need a public square 
you know, online. And Adam Masseri, who, you know, created Instagram, is working on the Threads product, sort of tweeted that we need a public square and a better public square than what's on Twitter. But, you know, everyone be having a soapbox is not necessarily a good thing. And, you know, the one thing I will say in Threads' favor is that so far there appears to be less sort of negative, toxic partisanship, et cetera. But who knows how long it's going to last? Every platform starts out as like a fun thing and then becomes polluted with annoying stuff as they grow. And it's like, I'm not sure that Meta is the right place to handle a new platform where it's possible for bad information and or hate speech and or toxicity to spread because they don't have a great track record on that front. Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree with you. I, I don't I'm not so sure we need this public square. I mean, Elon seemed to think we needed it. Uh, he didn't really pull it off, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, made it more toxic. Suddenly I'm getting anti-Semitic tweets, rando anti-Semitic tweets thrown my way. You alert the authorities at Twitter about it, and then they come back and say, well, it doesn't violate our rules of engagement, so you know you can block this person, but this person will continue to stay on. So it doesn't exactly instill confidence. Again, I don't care about migrating over to threads to seeing what's going on there. It just isn't my thing. And, and you know, maybe I, I'm too old or whatever, or too set in my ways. I did give it a go. I, I, I find it mildly amusing. I actually, my favorite thing about Twitter, you know, used to be changing my Twitter avatar and the, the screen at the top because it gave me a chance to sort of showcase my passion for photography. Uh, and so that was sort of my little outlet that I could, you know, display some of my recent seasonal f- photographs. But beyond that, just don't find it to be very satisfying or useful as a medium to promote our work, except for what Becky does with the puck promotions, I think for some reason, which I'm not really fully cognizant of and why it happens. Twitter has been a good, effective medium for puck stories to a certain extent, because then it gets the haters out there. And that's when I, you know, I get all sorts of anti-Semitic and, um, words that rhyme with puck coming my way on Twitter unedited. So I don't really think we need it, frankly. I think we were doing just fine without having, quote unquote, the public Mm -hmm. square that we now have. I mean, we're being bombarded with media. And so, you know, how do you even absorb it all? I'm sure I'm missing lots of things that I wish I didn't miss. So there's probably a, a, a need for some sort of curated way to get what's worthy of our attention. But, you know, it seems to me that's some sort of combination between the New York Times, the Financial Times, the Wall Street Journal, and Puck, and Semaphore, and various other publications. Uh, you know, again, I feel like I'm constantly being bombarded. I don't know that I need even more bombarding at this point. Same. Everyone, please turn off your push alerts, at least for the summer. Uh, It feels good. Bill, uh, thank you for joining me for maybe what was more of a shared rant than uh, delivering actual reporting, but this was fun. Thank you. Hey, I got the great (laughs) hair. I'm allowed to rant at this point. (laughs) 
Of course you are. All right. Thanks, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.